Tonight we receive a double blessing as I want to share with you the short story about the life of St. Mary of Egypt who we honor this weekend in our Holy Orthodox churches throughout the world. If you go into a large Orthodox church like St. George in Fishers, Indiana, you'll see a round church with rows and rows of saints. And on the western wall, or the, um, I'm sorry, the southern wall of the church, you see the men's saints. And then on the other wall of the church, you see all the women's saints. All the women's heads are covered, except for one. And that's St. Mary of Egypt. And now I will tell you why. The recorder of the life of this wonderful saint was St. Sophronius, Patriarch of Jerusalem. <clears throat> A higher monk, the elder Zosima, had gone off at one time during the great fast a 20 days walk into the wilderness across the Jordan. He suddenly caught the sight of a human being with a withered and naked body and with hair as white as snow, who fled in its nakedness from Zosima's sight. The elder ran a long way until this figure stopped at a stream and called, Father Zosima, forgive me for the Lord's sake. I cannot turn round to you, for I am a naked woman. Then Zosima threw her, threw her his outer cloak, and she wrapped herself in it and turned round to him. The elder was amazed at hearing his name from the lips of this unknown woman. How did she know who he was? By the Spirit of God she had. <clears throat> After considerable pressure on his part, she told him her life story. She had been born in Egypt and had lived as a prostitute in Alexandria from the age of 12, spending 17 years in this way of life. Urged by the lustful desire of the flesh, she one day got onto a ship that was sailing for Jerusalem. Arriving at the holy city, she made to go into one of the churches to venerate the precious and life-giving cross. But some unseen power prevented her from entering, in great fear, she turned to an icon of the Mother of God that was on the, is in, in the entrance and begged her to let her go in and venerate the cross, confessing her sin and impurity and promising that she would then go wherever the most pure led her. She was then allowed to enter the church. After venerating the cross, she went out again to the entrance and standing in front of the icon, thanked the Mother of God. Then she heard a voice. If you cross the Jordan, you will find true peace. She immediately bought three loaves of bread and set off for the Jordan, arriving there the same evening. She received communion the following morning in the monastery of St. John the Baptist and then crossed the river. She spent 48 whole years in the wilderness in the greatest torments in terror and struggles with passionate thoughts like gigantic beasts. 
She fed only on plants. After that, when she was standing in prayer, Zosima saw her lifted up in the air. She begged him to bring her communion the next year on the bank of the Jordan, and she would come to receive it. The following year, Zosima came with the holy gifts to the bank of the Jordan in the evening and stood in amazement as he saw her cross the river. He saw her coming in the moonlight and arriving on the further bank, making the sign of the cross over the river. She then walked across it as though it were dry land. When she had received communion, she begged him to come again the following year to the same stream by which they had first met. Zasa went and found her dead body there on that spot. Above her head in the sand was written, Abba Zosima, bury in this place the body of the humble Mary. Give dust to dust. I passed away on April 1st on the very night of Christ's Passion after communion of the divine mysteries. Zosima learned her name for the first time and also the awe-inspiring marvel that she had arrived at that stream the previous year on the night of the same day on which she had received communion, a place that had taken him 20 days to reach. And thus, Zosima buried the body of the wonderful saint, Mary of Egypt. When he returned to the monastery, he recounted the whole story of her life and the wonders to which he had been an eyewitness. Thus, the Lord glorifies repentant sinners. St. Mary is also commemorated in the fifth week of the Great Lent, a great fast, Church holds her up before the faithful in these days of the fast as a model of repentance. She entered into rest in about the year 530. We also have this wonderful sermon from St. John Maximovich, our patron saint, on the meaning of the Holy Cross. In the midst of two thieves, thy cross was found to be a balance of justice. For the one was borne down to Hades by the weight of his blasphemy. The other was raised up from his sins to the knowledge of theology. O Christ our God, glory be to thee. This is from the hymns on the glory of the ninth hour for great Lent. This is what is said about the cross of the Lord. A balance of justice was found between two thieves. Pilate erected three crosses on Golgotha, two thieves and one life-giver. But only the cross of the Savior provided salvation for all mankind, that cross which stood in the center. It is a weapon of peace and invincible victory, victory over the devil and victory over death. As for the two remaining crosses, one was soul-saving for the one who hung on it, while the other was for the second thief, a ladder to Hades. Two thieves hung on the cross, on the crosses next to the Lord Jesus Christ. One never stopped reviling him. The other began by reviling, but then came to his senses and became aware of his sins, cried out to the Lord, Remember me, O Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Lord replied, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. So it was that through the cross, through suffering, the wise thief came to believe in the crucified Christ. He believed it, and he said, he said it is said to the knowledge of theology. But when the Lord forgave him his sins, he recognized him to be the very Son of God. 
He understood that the man hanging in, dis- in disgrace and dishonor was the glorious king of glory. He understood that he who at that moment appeared weak and powerless was the very omnipotent creator and ruler of the entire universe. Through repentance, through humility, the thief who hung on the right side came to understand the understanding. The eyes of his mind, the eyes of his soul were opened. Christ abased himself more than all men. He abased himself in order to wipe out, to annihilate the sin of Adam's pride. So too the thief humbly acknowledged his sins, asked the Lord's forgiveness, and through this the Lord appeared to him in all his glory. But that other thief, hanging on the left, constantly mocked him. He mocked him because he realized that he was a sinner, that he was a criminal, that he had violated the laws of both man and God. He did not want to repent. He did not want to humble himself, and he reviled those very laws which he had transgressed. He reviled the lawgiver himself who had given the laws of nature, who had endowed men with a conscience according to which they write their own human laws, although they do not always agree with it. And he continued reviling him until his soul went down to Hades. Here are the two paths placed before men. Before us lies the life-creating cross of the Lord. The Lord said, If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Follow where? At first through sufferings, just as Christ also suffered. Then he will also enter with Christ into the eternal kingdom, the kingdom of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ sits on his throne. There is no other path except to follow the Lord. The thief who hung on the right recognized him to be God and in his soul followed after him. He could not, of course, become miraculously transformed, and this was not necessary. He followed Christ in his soul, recognizing him to be God who had humbled himself for the sake of saving mankind. The thief humbled himself likewise, acknowledging his transgressions, and went with Christ into paradise. Before us, before you and I, lie the paths of the two thieves. Which path shall we take? Mankind has always taken one or the other path. The cross of the Lord was to the Jews a stumbling block. To the Greeks, that is to the pagans, it was foolishness. How could anyone bow down before an instrument of humiliation, an instrument of torture? They did not understand that by means of this instrument, the Lord saved all of mankind from the dominion of the devil, from the dominion of sin, from eternal perdition. For the Jews also, the cross of the Lord was an offense. They wanted to see their Messiah as a king of glory, as an earthly king who would exalt the Jewish race. The cross on which Christ was crucified was for them a stumbling block. Christ's crucifixion was perceived as an offense, as something senseless, and yet, as the Holy Apostle tells us, the stumbling block unto the Jews, this foolishness unto the Greeks, is for us Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For what what for some spelled perdition, for others became a source of salvation. The cross of the Lord separates men into two parts. We see that some believed in Christ, while others stumbled at the stumbling stone and persecuted Christ's church. 
the body of Christ, whose head is the Lord Jesus. The church of Christ is the body of Christ. He himself is its head, and with his divine body and blood, he nourishes the faithful. He nourishes the children of his church, making us one with himself. And we should be one with Christ, bodily and spiritually. We unite ourselves with Christ in body through divine communion. Spiritually, we must also join with him and eagerly follow his commandments. We all sin. We all sin. But some sin and repent, while others mock the laws which they violate. So it was in ancient times when Arius and other heretics repudiated the dogmas of the Holy Church, and then the faithful often suffered. They suffered when there were impious rulers who sent them into banishment. St. Athanasius the Great spent 20 of his 47 years as a hierarch in exile, and other hierarchs suffered similarly for the truth, as did many of the faithful. But within the purity of orthodoxy, they found salvation and opened the gates of eternal life, the gates of the kingdom of heaven. There were times when the unbelievers triumphed, when they trampled the church of Christ, but then came to their demise and their souls were sent, not to the kingdom of heaven, but into everlasting torments in the nethermost depths. Just as Christ once sent to Hades the soul of Herod, and others who had sought his life. We have before us the path of salvation or the path of perdition. Even to some Christians, the cross proved a stumbling block during the iconoclast period when they began to persecute holy icons, when they began to defame other sacred objects, including the cross of the Lord. And these were those who called themselves right-believing who considered themselves to be orthodox. The iconoclast heresy prevailed for 150 years before it was finally eradicated. On the day of the triumph of orthodoxy, we celebrate Christ's victory over iconoclasm and over all demons. The cross of the Lord separated believers from unbelievers those who followed the path of salvation from those who followed the path of perdition. Today's iconoclasts, Protestants and others who reject holy icons, likewise reject the cross of the Lord. They allow pretty pictures of various biblical events to hang in their homes, but they repudiate the veneration of icons, which remind us that salvation is attained by following a difficult path a narrow path, such as the Lord Jesus Christ himself followed, a path of battling one's sins and vices, a path of fasting and prayer. Those who want to see Christianity only as something rosy and attractive, who think it possible to enter the blessedness of eternity without any particular effort, without forcing themselves, without warring with their passions, they deny all this. They follow the path taken by the thief who hung on the left. They reject all the laws which the Lord himself delivered and which he sent the apostles to preach throughout the world. They reject those statutes and writings which are sacredly preserved by the holy Orthodox Church. 
And so through the cross, some are being saved under the knowledge of theology, the knowledge of eternal truth, while others are being pulled down by the weight of blasphemy into the torments of Hades. Such a broad path lies before us orthodox. And here our temptations would separate believers if they desire to follow that path which Christ has indicated to them. We all sin. We all sin. We all transgress Christ's commandments and the laws of the Holy Church. But some acknowledge themselves to be sinners and repent of their transgressions, while others instead reject the very laws and do not want to submit to them. They say that these laws are outdated, that they are no longer needed, as if we are smarter than those who gave us the church laws, which the Lord himself gave through his holy apostles and hierarchs. Here before you are two paths, the path of the wise thief and the path of the one who was pulled down to Hades by the weight of his blasphemy. We also have here before us eternal iconographic creations, talking about the holy icons that we see in the church. Some are prepared to recognize icons if they are well executed, if they are aesthetic and pleasing to the eye. Others venerate those icons in which saints are depicted in their sufferings, where their martyric exploits are reflected, their fasts and vigils. These sacred depictions portray portray an inner nobility rather than any external comeliness. Here, brethren, is the path of the two thieves. Some desire salvation, others desire only enjoyment in this world. And when they do not succeed in obtaining it, they blaspheme those laws which are given for our salvation. Even today, various divisions can spring up among us. The laws of Christ's church are immutable. A Christian must submit to them, irrespective of what others think. (coughs) Of how society regards these laws, whether favorably or unfavorably. Those faithful to Christ follow after him along the path of those laws, those ordinances which the Holy Church sacredly preserves. Those who desire unnecessary comforts and pleasures in this, in this temporal world, which sooner or later will perish, these people prefer other laws, not the laws of the church, but those of which they allow them to live as they want, to think what they want, to place their own will above the spirit of the church. That spirit given by the Lord God himself, and they invite others to follow the same path. It may be, brethren, that soon you will again experience a time of turmoil, And some of you will be called to take the path of denying those sacred laws and submit to laws established by mere human authority. Beware of such a path. Beware of the path taken by the thief on the left, for by the weight of blasphemy, by the weight of reviling Christ, he went to his eternal perdition. Those who revile the laws of the church revile Christ himself, who is the head of the church, For the laws of the church were given by the Holy Spirit through the apostles, and the laws of the local churches are based on those same laws and canons of the church. Let us not consider ourselves wiser than those saints and hierarchs who established the rules of the church. Let us not imagine ourselves to be great sages. Rather, let us humbly call out together with the wise thief, Remember me, O Lord, in thy kingdom. Pray for the forgiveness of sins. 
If we transgress the laws of the church, if we constantly violate them, pray that the Lord have mercy and lead us together with that wise thief into the kingdom of heaven. Then we will not follow the path taken by the ungodly thief, who remained ungodly to the end and descended into the nethermost depths, from which may the Lord deliver us all. Amen. Holy St. John, pray for us. time, we're going to be doing a memorial for Craig Spaulding, who is the godfather of Caleb Rose, a catechumen in our parish. I never got to meet this man, but I feel like I know him in a little bit through the men I know who knew him. And clearly there was something remarkable about, remarkable about his personality and his character that left such a huge impression on so many people. And I know at least two things about him, which are probably the most important things. First of all, by God's grace and amazing love, he was able to enter in to communion with the Holy Orthodox Church and died as a faithful Orthodox Christian. That's the most important thing. Secondly, because of his witness, of his character, of his love, and other attributes, he attracted other people to the Orthodox faith. I don't know how many he led to that path, but it was quite a few. And so that is good fruit of his life. So because of that, we can have joy in praying for him and offering up this memorial service on his behalf. And I thank you, young men, who have come here to honor him this evening. I pray that you receive a great blessing and that through your prayers, God may bless him as well. Stop.
May Christ, our true God, who is risen from the dead through the prayers of his most holy mother, through the prayers of St. John, the wonder worker, the patron saint of his parish, through the prayers of the holy martyrs, and through the prayers of St. Mary of Egypt and of all the saints, have mercy on us and save us, for he is gracious and he loves mankind.